But the 11th hour, we said, okay, it's all cool that our tap switcher is crispy and buttery. That's not enough. How, what is the reason someone is telling their friend about it? We didn't want to escape from the value prop of the fastest way to look something up. And that's when one person on our team, Nate, had this idea of, what if we just always made you the one perfect tap? If there was one thing I were to suggest to other people to build in consumer experiences in AI, it's that the tiniest interaction details make all of the difference. I'm telling you, it's hard to believe, the exact same feature with the exact same technology with the exact same prompting does not work without those topical bullet points. I have no idea why it's yeah. a human psychology thing, but it just brings it together. So my bet is cost is going to come down tremendously. And so the principle that I would kind of share, at least the way that we approach it is, it is much harder to build a consumer AI experience that people actually love and use and changes their behavior than it is to go raise money for that sort of behavior change from the market. Hey everybody, welcome back, it's Fraser. Hey, I'm Nabil. And today we have a guest for the first time. We have Josh from the browser company. Um, and we welcome wanna Josh. try something. Yeah, hey Josh. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Hey, so Nabil had an idea about bringing on people who have discerning taste in product and talking with them about the craft and what they've built and why they made certain decisions we thought that Josh would be a great guest for a whole host of different reasons. Oh, that sounds um, so strategized, Fraser. Really, we, we, I opened up Arc Search because one of his investors sent me an early build and was like, this is amazing. How did Josh get to this? Let's talk I'm to gonna him. I'm going to root out the mole by the end of this podcast. So Josh, actually, let, let's start there. You launched Arc Search publicly like two weeks ago with a very well-polished, awesome video that I assume you didn't put together in 24 hours. Where did the idea for Arc Search come from? Because honestly, for me, I've been using Arc as a default browser for probably probably a year, year and a half now. And the strategy for how AI, as you started to insert AI into Arc, the browser, um, felt, we'll probably touch on this, but felt like a very different strategy. This kind of like lead bullet strategy, let's get rid of all the paper cuts one at a time with small little workflow strategy. Whereas Arc Search is like, hey, what if we reinvented the, you call it the second phase of Arc or whatever. It felt like, let's reinvent the whole thing. What would we do if we were starting from scratch with AI in mind? How did that happen? Yeah, F thank you for having me. My one request for this conversation is you don't give, only give me softballs. I want to hear if I walked into Spark and... <laughs> You know, you and I, and I was pitching you our AI philosophy or strategy. I want, I want the, I want the sharp ones too. So I appreciate you having me on, um, but don't hold back. So actually, Arc, Arc Search has a sort of counterintuitive origin story, given the way it turned out. It did not start as an AI project at all. The no. origins of the project were the team has really, really, really wanted a better default mobile browser for a long time, and quite frankly, that just didn't have a role in our strategy as a company. And it still really doesn't. Of all the things we could do, focus is so important for a startup like ours, as you know, it just didn't make any sense. But our team has worked their butts off the past 12 months. It was the end of the year. We had our company offsite in November. And sort of as a, let's end the year right, let's have a fun project. We let two people spend two months mm -hmm. reimagining the mobile web browser from scratch with no constraints other than you need to focus on what is the value prop you are conveying to people and just radically focus on that value prop. But within that value prop, go further than anyone has gone before 
Because at the end of the day, a mobile, a default mobile browser is sort of a basic utility. It's a different role in that ecosystem than the desktop web browser. And so our view was that given how much of a commodity it is and undifferentiated, even more so on mobile, we got to be bold yeah. and standing out and really focused, especially if we only have two months and two people. And so what we found was what that team decided is the main thing you use your mobile browser for is to quickly look something up. You're on the subway, mm -hmm. you're out with friends, someone has a random question, you want to quickly look something up. It's really more of a search app than it is a, a browser. And in fact, those two things are one and the same. There are a lot of companies like DuckDuckGo, for example, that are search engine companies, but on mobile, they're effectively browser companies because it's the same thing. Because on mobile, right. a browser is looking something up. Now, in the process of kind of beginner's mind blank page, not what is a mobile browser, not what is a mobile search engine, not what is AI on mobile, but you're in a bar, your friend has a dumb question, and you want the answer really quickly. What is the fastest way we can get you that answer? That's how AI came in. And it came in surprisingly towards the end, and it was a last-minute hmm. prompting change that even made it something mm. we, we decided to ship. So I know, it, I mean, it, put it put it like this. You see it in the way we launched it. Our big launch with the big video that definitely took more than 24 hours came out on a Thursday. That's when we always launch things. Mm -hmm. We shipped Arc Search on a Sunday because it was the freebie project that like we were proud of, but it wasn't really part of the plan. And Browse for mm -hmm. me as the core feature, we, we liked it, but we didn't expect it to resonate so deeply. And I think it's safe to say in retrospect, it struck much more of a chord than we would have expected. Browse for me specifically feels like the product to most people, understandably in retrospect, right. but it did not start out as an AI project and it did not even at the time we shipped it. But if you go look at the app store screenshots, I don't know when this is going to come out. Browse for me is like number three in the screenshots. It's not even meant to be the thing. <laughs> so yeah. I think there's a, there's a lesson in there that I take for us at least, which is do not build AI features and do not even build categories of software, like really ruthlessly focus on what you're trying to do for someone and why and how badly they want it. I, I think that's easy enough to say now, but, and, and I, I get the, so your, your prism first, I'll say is like, it sounds like the prism you're looking through is like, look, it's a jobs to be done job. And the whole point is like the job to be done is I'm searching on mobile. How do I solve that the best way? And then if, and when you use AI, great. Uh, if you stumble there, great. Um, you obviously thought it was a, decent enough opportunity because it's not a hackathon project like two you're not you're not a thousand person company two people two months although maybe not in mainline product strategy is a good amount of time in um, again especially for somebody who's trying to be really product focused to go run away and go run into thing so you felt yes. like there was clearly something right maybe, maybe we can come back to this though because um we should lay out the actual experience of the product and and Josh, I think I heard you say that browse for me came in at like the eleventh hour, and so we can we can return mm. to that question. And I'll tell you my experience as a way to help people understand what Arc Search is. It's the mobile app. Nabil comes to me and he says, "You got to try Arc Search. It's this like lovingly built new product. Uh, go get it in the App Store." I didn't look up anything else. I go to the App Store. I download Arc Search. Up comes uh, a search box with a, your keyboard already open. So it's like a very um, deliberate decision for that use case that you talked about. And I, I type in a query. And then all of a sudden it says, you know, looking at these five pages uh, and building you a website. And I go, wait, wait, what? what is it's this great experience? phrasing. It's great phrasing. Right? It's so great phrasing. And 
up comes basically like a synthesized and summarized experience uh, of the the search topic, right? It, it went and found the relevant web pages, pushed through that, pulled back into, I'm assuming some sort of LLM, synthesized it, and then like with with really good taste shows the output. And I'm thinking, oh, hey, this is this is actually a, like a modern search experience, which is beautiful. And then it took me like four queries to understand that if you pushed through that a little bit in the product experience, um, you fade back into like a fully fledged browser. Like the the browser capabilities are still there. It's just I don't know, like it like it fades in when it's necessary, and then it's not there when it's not. And then to come back to the question that Nabil highlighted. At the 11th hour, you add in this browse for me functionality. Where were you in building the mobile uh, search experience? And when you realize that that AI can actually do what is a very profound and now like the central experience of the product. So as I mentioned, we started with uh, be the fastest way to look something up on your phone. And we built that. Um, That included things like having the keyboard up by default blocking GDPR pop-ups, which do get on the way on mobile, for example, before you can get to the content of the page, removing ads, which do get in the way of getting the content on the page, even tried prototypes like reader mode by default. We built really great tab switching for when you're doing things like uh, shopping or, or looking at which restaurant to go to, you can quickly toggle. Yeah. So we emphasize speed, speed, but in kind of like traditional software ways, uh, really delightful animations that are really crispy and buttery smooth. Um, I guess it can't be crispy and buttery, but you get the point. Um, and what we found was we we much preferred it to Safari. Like I, I feel like if you take Browse for me out of the product, it is a better mobile browser, in my opinion, than Safari and any other on that on the App Store. But it's not that different. It's like if you're able, we, we right. thought, oh, this is going to have yep. really high retention, and nobody's going to tell anybody about it. We'll just be right. champ. You know, we'll, we'll be clapped by Design Twitter for designing a better browser, and it'll it'll be a niche kind of browser. <laughs> And so at the 11th hour, we said, okay, it's all cool that our tap switcher is crispy and buttery or whatever we decided it is, but that's not enough. How, what is the reason someone is telling their friend about it? What is that moment? Right. And so again, we didn't want to escape from the value prop of the fastest way to look something up. And that's when one person on our team, Nate, had this idea of, well, uh, what if we just always made you the one perfect tab? That was the original idea. It was like, you don't really know which web page you need when you're looking something up. You have to toggle through a bunch. But what if we always made sure you'd, we just brought you the perfect web page for what you need? And then you, we work backwards. From, because that's one of the things that's annoying on mobile. Nabil, you're at a restaurant. Nabil, he asks a question. You both wonder the answer. One of you has to then stare at your phone and tap around and wait for loading and scroll and tap and, and, then, and hopefully get your answer while you're either pretending to pay attention or trying to pay attention. So the way to cut that out is, is just, I mean, even you see this in the implementation of Browse for Me. Why does it have haptic feedback while it's loading? Because we want you to put the phone down. Keep talking to Nabil. When it stops vibrating, mm-hmm. it's got your perfect Smart. web page you know, waiting for you. So, of course, it was considered. Of course, it was not, oh, whoopsies. Like, yes, when we thought, hey, what aligns with the value prop but can help with top of funnel and help break through because we think retention will be great if we can get you in the door. It came from that perspective, the one perfect tab. So you never have to go searching for that perfect tab, which is where you get lost time-wise and tapping-wise and the context switching-wise. Amazing. Amazing. And and now I read that like something like 40% of all searches are the Browse for Me functionality, even though it's not the default. 
Yeah, it settled to it settled to thirty two percent, but that's been steady now for a few days. So pretty sure that that's going to be about a third. But our number one feature request is getting is people wanting it to be the default. People yeah. now love it so much they view that as the app that they either they either want it as the default, or some people don't even use the default browser or realize it's a default browser. They think of it as the browse for me app that they use to browse for me, even though you can have. You can use it to replace Safari or Chrome or any other browser because it's such a lightning rod of a feature. To hear that one third of all interactions are are people opting to not use the default is like such strong signal. If you had switched it so that traditional search was something that you had to opt into using, where you think that number would be in the product? Well, by the time this podcast comes out, that change will have happened. So we're we're changing the button to <laughs> we're changing the button to say search. And the default will be browse for me. So yeah, I got to think it's going to be like three percent. It will be three percent. I bet you it's three percent. That's still yeah. And and in fact, (laughs) it's really interesting because we've been obviously using it internally to play with it first. And what I found is the times it's more than three percent to be honest that I find myself wanting just a traditional search. But then you start categorizing those times and realize there are even faster ways to get those things. So. You know, one of my favorite features on desktop now is this feature we call instant links. You know, you know, Nabil Hyatt, LinkedIn, you know what you want. And on instant links on desktop, you can just bypass Google and, and grab the LinkedIn profile. There are equivalents that I find myself on mobile wanting where, yeah, I don't want browse for me, but I also don't really want a search results page. Okay, let's have an instant way to just go grab the first link uh, from a Google search result, for example, and open it without you doing anything. So it's interesting not making it the default. Does it? I don't think it will be as high as 97%, though, I hope. Um, but I do think it has and will reveal these other ways we can kind of eat away at all the queries you do on Google. I love the opening experience, and now I understand because you came at this from its search and its jobs to be done, but it really reminded me the first time I opened it up, it opens up into the search bar, and it reminded me a lot of Snapchat default opening into camera as the like defaults matter. We're trying to teach you mm. something different. You're here to search. So default give you a web page also feels like it will it will matter if it's trying to build a web page for me. Do you feel like at that point you might have to then kind of reverse back out to the other problem. You, Frazier used a perfect example. It fades into the background and you can like surface up the engine if you need, right? Uh, and I'll give you an analogy. Descript is a company that, that we're an investor in. They came to AI similarly to you, job to be done. You, when you're editing a podcast or a video for years, all, 30 years, all you've been doing is like editing a waveform and trying to take out the uh in the waveform, which is not what you really want. And so they used early self-built transcription models to just show you the transcript of the podcast, right? And so you can just say, find, replace, remove, uh, and it just works, right? And that's an entirely different workflow. But obviously, then you're talking to This American Life and everybody who's used to old workflows. And it, and so it had, it, this is the only other company I've come across, frankly, you guys with Arc Search, that has this same characteristic of opening up and feeling like a wildly new experience. But then from there, it kind of fades. So in Descript, you can drag from the bottom and still see like all the little waveforms. You can get your little version that looks like Adobe Audacity or Avid or whatever used to exist as a legacy player. And that feels similar here. I mean, the magic experience, I guess the question that kind of like user challenge is, how do I then find my way back into the old version of the browser? Are you worried about that? Or do you feel like it's just natural? Because frankly, build your own web page is not going to be great for everything. The way that Arc Search works is you type in a query in the URL box, just like you would in any other browser, and we show you a bunch of search uh, suggestions, just like any other browser. 
And then when you tap on one of them, just like any other browser, we take you somewhere. That's going to take you to browse for me. You're always going to have a little button on every single search query that says search. And that'll take you right back to the Google experience, you know. And then the thing about browse for me and the fact that they make you a single web page, your perfect web page, is those are just now tabs. And so we have a tab switcher. And you can have your perfect mm -hmm. web page next to TechMeme or Hacker News. And you can switch between those. And so, again, that's the intention. That might not be the experience on the other end. But I think because we started let's building the best search browsing experience for your phone, focused on this one mm -hmm. value proposition, and the AI elements came in at the end, my hope is that structurally, we are prepared to primarily be a replacement for your default browser and search engine, because that's what the architecture intended itself to be. If anything, I wonder the ways in which we will hold ourselves back on the net new opportunity. That's what keeps me up at night. I've noticed that already some of the other browser companies have already started launching some of the AI features that you have already launched on the Arc desktop browser, cleaning up your tabs and so on and so forth. You, you have like, I think eight or nine AI features that, that are, I would call them like removing paper cuts. A lot of the things that make Arc so good are these polish features. They are making life a little bit smoother and better in a day-to-day -day activity, but they are copyable. How do you think about defensibility? Do you just assume you'll always like, this is just going to be a situation where you're just always going to try and be six months ahead, but you'll never be 18 months ahead. How, how do you think about how you think about competition? Yeah. Cause you I know, they have those other browsers have a lot of users. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> I, it depends on, on who we're talking about, but I think at a high level, I would categorize it as um, the folks with the most market share have a very perverse incentive to optimize for search ad revenue. So they view their mm. browsers as traffic acquisition for mm. search engines. That, that is the strategic imperative of them in their larger corporate portfolios. And so we know that they have to A-B test everything that they ship against what does it do to the number of searches that you do? Because as a proxy, how many searches you do aligns with how many ads you get to see. And right. almost by definition, anything we add that is powerful and useful is gonna detract against the number of searches you do because old browsers are really so minimal and focused on when you need something, go to the URL bar and ask for it. It will bring it to you. It doesn't matter if you already have it open seven times. So at yeah. some point in some scale, they won't care and they'll be willing to cannibalize their revenue. Um, I think we are a long way from that. And I think we'll be probably a little bit okay with it if we ever get to that scale in terms of how successful we are. And so I think in that intervening period, what you're going to see and what you have seen is them trying to pick off these little features around the margins that either don't hit that AB, AB uh, test uh, trade-off or hit it just enough that they don't mind. But as you said, Arc doesn't have a an air quote killer feature. It is a bundle of improvements that hopefully work together cohesively. And so you would really take someone full ripping it off, I think, to get most of the value. And the truth is, we don't really have the luxury of thinking too much about it. We just go, go, go. We just go, go, go. And I think we're going to try to stay one step ahead no matter what. But I think unlike other businesses, I would say we don't have in, you know, network effects. We don't have obvious moats. There's no reason why we can technically do something that larger companies can't do. We may have a structural advantage on speed of trying net new things, but they can throw bodies at it. So I think other than just our culture and our creativity and our energy, 
Um, the biggest thing going for us is uh, they got to protect their cash cows as public companies, and it'll be hard to copy us without hurting that in a really substantial way. It, it, you know, our arc summarized browse for me is, is pretty great as a piece of execution. It reminds me probably most closely to a mobile native version of Perplexity, um, although Perplexity hasn't presented itself as a mobile web page builder or even web page builder. Me and Fraser talked on the podcast before about how we think of Perplexity as a web more closer and closer to a web page builder than it is a search engine. And then this comes out and it's like, yep, that's kind of the next logical step. Why do you think this has been hard to execute against? And I know you're not in all the other teams that have tried to build it. So OpenAI now, Google, um, there's the search generative experience. There are other companies that are trying to take a let us summarize the links approach and present them to you, the results. And I have to tell you, they're bad. I try them all the time. I try to do co-searching across all of those products all the time. And they just whiff on a very regular basis in a way that perplexly does not and that quite frankly, you're the only other like summarization tool I've ever used, whereas like a media out of the box felt like it hit. Not all the time. Sometimes it's not quite right, but like, but really close to bullseye. Why has it worked well out of the box for you? And how much struggle was involved in getting it to give the results I would want? Yeah. So I will be hopefully specific and also a little bit evasive in terms of the way that we do this. I would summarize it as, I think everyone else is at the wrong layer in the stack. Hmm. Everyone else is approaching this as an application in the tab. We're a user agent, and that affords us the ability to do things in certain ways that make this a lot easier. Browse for me was built by one person who's not titles, not engineer in our team. In three weeks, we had mm -hmm. some design support towards the end. Um, we have someone working on a permalink version. So it's, it's now a team effort. So it was a three-week project. The big breakthrough was a prompting change that was just a really creative idea in the, like, the yeah. last 48 hours, a tiny little thing in retrospect. Uh, and I'm not sure what is difficult about it other than because it was not for us. And I don't think we're especially gifted at this sort of thing. I, 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 you know, like I, we have no AI researchers. No one's done anything related to LLMs here. So yeah. I, my best guess is the layer of the stack that we chose makes stuff like this a lot easier. Um, but I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure. Um, the other thing I would say, though, is um, there's how do you technically do it? And then there's how does it conceptually land with a human being? And if you think right. about some things mm -hmm. with Browse for me, I think it was the, the it took three weeks to build. But wow, do I think we're the best in the world or one of the best in the world at, hey, telling you what we're doing, showing you the web pages we're reading, telling you we're making you a web page, showing you a web page that looks familiar. You know, I think it is these interaction details that make it sing. Because again, I'm telling you, there's no way that our summarization is that much better than anyone else's because we did not spend right. that much time. We will. We're going to get really good at it. I <laughs> yeah, promise. Gonna, I, I was just going to say is like yeah. my, my, my <laughs> hesitancy before we went down this is that I, I think a big part of it is like product taste. And it's all of those little details that you discussed. It's about somebody who's futzing around with a prompt to have it work in concert with all of those little details and thinking of it, you know, I think if, if full stack in the sense that uh, you might not be able to fine tune or pre-train a model for this use case, but that you care enough about the prompt intersecting with the UI and all these other little elements so that it works well. Uh, like I'm assuming you don't have a search index or anything else like that. You're using APIs and others who are providing that to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think we have found in our AI prototyping, uh, if there was one thing I were to 
suggest to other people building consumer experiences in AI, it's that the tiniest interaction details make all of the difference. You know, you we, we had this feature, their first breakout feature that had AI involved is called uh, five second previews on desktop. You hover over a link and we're just going to go and read the page for you and show you a little, a little summary card about what, what's behind that URL. And it was, it was going from stanzas to bullet points and specifically picking a bullet point that was an icon where the icon that we selected matched the topic being described in the bullet point. No, it was just saying this to Nabil. <laughs> yes, yeah, so like you hover over a link and out comes a discerned, opinionated summary for a film. And you're like somebody with, with love and attention because it doesn't appear like that on all links. So you, you must have some sort of custom logic behind the scenes that's tailoring this. Yeah, exactly. And so, but, and, and, and the learning there is, I, I, I'm telling you, it's hard to believe the exact same feature with the exact same technology, with the exact same prompting does not work without those topical bullet points. I have no idea why it's yeah. a human psychology thing, but it just brings it together. <laughs> and so I think that's probably a big part of what, what made browser. That can be both empowering. If you feel like you have a team that has the taste to make those calls, but also a little bit terrifying. If you're in a situation where you probably launched eight, nine, 10 AI features so far, I'm sure there's a whiteboard somewhere with 20 more. And, 30, 40 and your proverbial, yeah. yeah, exactly. And and your proverbial um, uh, icon uh, twist to make it work doesn't exist for any of those until somebody walks down the idea maze of building the product and working in the nuance. And so maybe as a counter, can you give an example of a situation where you thought something was going to be great oh, yeah. and yeah, yeah. it's just yeah, yeah. sucked. <laughs> no, I, I'll give you, I mean, I'll give you what I think. <laughs> I'll give you the feed. I'll give you the moment. I thought I reinvented the internet and I like put my, like I lost a lot of internal <laughs> capital for this one. Like I, yeah. And, uh, and so, so it didn't suck, but relative to how much yeah. I advocated for it and thought it'd be great. It wasn't it. We've all okay. been there. We've all, all right. Someone's so, and someone, please, you're a lap. Please take this idea because I, I still deeply believe in it, but I just, we couldn't pull it off. Um, okay. So there's not a lot of UI in a browser and you don't want more of it. And a problem that arc suffers from is it's probably has too much and we got to work on reducing it. One of the most unused, but very prominent UI elements in a browser is a forward button, but the forward mm -hmm. button is never clickable. It's never clickable, right? It's only, you never use your yeah. forward button, but it's always there. But what if you could always go forward? What if you could just keep hitting <laughs> forward? And if so, and the idea is like, you're on, you're on it's something next you token like. token prediction, but it's next web page prediction. <laughs> and you just keep, you just keep going. So, so this, okay. So that, that was, that was the, the original idea was like in, in arc, you don't go backwards, you know, an arc go forward or whatever, you, you know, you, the cheesy market, you just, <laughs> you go, go forward. Um, I love it. Oh my so, God. So, so good. right. It just, it, ha it just has it. I had Nabil. That's what that, I was saying. Yeah. I was like, you know, come on. I, know. I feel it. I feel it. Yeah. This is, this is, yeah. This is why I get paid a startup salary. Let's go. Um, okay. <laughs> so, but so then there's this fork in the road. At first we thought like, okay, maybe it's a way that you like kind of stumble upon, like, you know, kind of like serendipity. Right. And then we thought, 
Maybe it's a way you dive deeper. So you read a, a movie trailer, or you, or you meet a, read a movie review, and you're like, you're like, oh, this seems interesting. You don't even know what you're looking for. If it's interesting, you just hit forward. And then we pull some other things from the same director. We pull a trailer. We pull showtimes, whatever. And we just can never find the use case and the data and the, just the, the, what comes next to make it work. And we tried so many variations. And I think the lesson for me in that was, I think it's important to come the other way. So that was an obsession over a hook, like an interaction mm -hmm. hook. It wasn't an obsession with what happened with Browse for me, which was a pain point or a value prop. And we found, and for yeah. every other time we found the interaction thing, it was in service of what we were trying to do for yeah. someone. So it's like the equivalent mm -hmm. of the technology looking for a problem. This was an interaction looking for a problem. And God damn, it was a good interaction, but it's not the way that right. you, you'd have to build it. But that one day... Our forward button is going to be the coolest fucking forward button. <laughs> I love it. I, using your life. I heard you say elsewhere that LLMs are one of the greatest inventions, you know, that just appeared and it allows you the opportunity to start over. One thing that I think a lot of people building companies, products are struggling with over these past like 12, 24 months is what do you do with this technology? Do you literally start over? Do you do you adapt what you've already invested a couple of years into and you have some early traction and success with? You've made the uh, uh, decision to start over on one of your product surface areas and then you've you've evolved another one. Nabil's got a really nice way to tie this up into the different options that we've seen. Uh, and maybe you can talk about that a little bit, Nabil, and then Josh will, will hear your understanding as to why you started over on one and why you've adapted the other. I think I know what your answer is to this, but we should pull a thread from there. We had this conversation, Josh, obviously, like a thing happened with ChatGPT uh, a little over a year ago. And, you know, my dear partner, Fraser was sitting in the middle of that at launch and all the rest of it. And then, of course, like immediately you had the conversation that you had that lots of founders had, which is what are we going to do with this technology? How do we take advantage of the sea change? It's like, you know, you're sitting there and the Internet comes out. Or you're sitting there and mobile comes out and you're like, what do I do? And they're like basic for things that I have seen companies do is you absolutely started from scratch, right? Like I'm going to pivot. This company is useless. We're going to do the new company. Everything's out the window. Lindy is a good example of this. Um, they were a totally different company and they are now an agentic uh, AI company. Um, that's job one, the most dramatic one. The second one is the uh, like make it breathe AI, it's not a one-off thing. It's not a tiny thing. We, it's 20 features that fit into every little nook and cranny of our product. And I think Replit is a good example of this today. I think, frankly think Arc Desktop is a, is a great example of like, let's just make it breathe AI. Kind of the third strategy is the thing that everybody kind of starts with, which is Copilot. Uh, hey, we're going to put a chat box on the right and you can now chat with your product and let's use that as a surface area because that's what users understand what they understand ChatGPT. Let's start there. We'll move from there. Um, and then the last one, which really I've only seen two companies try, which we've already referenced, is let us start with a new experience and a new workflow that fits AI natively, although that's not the journey that got you there. And then let's back into the old experience over time. But kind of you're starting from, we have a great engine. We're going to wipe away the way I look at this engine. And we're going to present with you a new lens. And Descript is a good example of that. And I think actually Arc Search is a perfect example of that. Then we know the solution when you got to Arc Search, because you've talked about it, which is it didn't start with an AI idea. It started with a job to be done idea that backed into AI. In hindsight, 
Do you think that's the right approach that you should have taken for Arc Desktop mm. browser? You took a breathe uh, approach with Arc Desktop. Now that you're looking at Art Search and how magical it feels and how differentiated it feels, quite frankly, um, does that put into question how you should have attacked or should attack this other product you have on my desktop? Yeah, so it's a, it's a fantastic question. It's obviously very specific to the context of the company and the product. And so yeah. I'll, I'll answer for myself. I don't think I have any generic advice, but... For us on depth, if the question is, now that you know what you know about Arc Search, what would you do differently on desktop, if anything at all, as it relates yeah. to AI? I think two things are worth noting. One, I was a skeptic of the timing of AI up until six, eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago. Hmm. You know, hmm. actually, your original AI features that this, I guess the secret, maybe I've never shared this publicly, is it was a brand marketing moment. I was a skeptic of AI. I thought it, uh, the technology was slow. I thought it was unreliable. I thought it was not privacy preserving. I basically disliked everything about it and totally believed that over the next five years, it would change everything. So I was a believer in the medium to long-term potential and deeply skeptical of the, of the short-term uh, hype. But we, we are one of our core values is assume you don't know. We have a very prototype prototype driven culture. And I don't trust my instincts or anyone's instincts. I trust prototypes. So we started building stuff. And what we found is, you know, in our market, we need to be the Mac and the Mac versus PC distinction. And people pick Arc because they view it to be at the cutting edge, right? The, the premium, the professional choice for how you use the internet. And we were just getting a lot of questions around, hey, where, what the heck, Arc? You're, you're slow. Where's the AI stuff? Every other, like Opera's got AI. Where's your AI stuff? And as much as I may not have believed in it to the extent other people did, I am a believer in prototyping and learning by trying. And I thought we'd learn something by trying. And it was really important that we maintain the market position of we're going to always be ahead of the curve. And so the original five features were an even tinier team with less time saying, right. hey, let's just try some stuff. Let's, to your point, let's, let's just like fix some paper cuts because paper cuts aren't fun. We'll get us a way of AI features. People will stop asking us and we'll learn a little bit about the technology and we'll move on. Um, and that's, that's great. We, it was, it was objection handling initially. That's great. It's wow. and, and guess, and guess what? One of those became uh, adjusted for people that have AI features turned on the most popular feature we've ever built. And it was the one that I thought was not valuable at all. Five second uh, previews. And there were a yeah. bunch of learnings in there. And along that way, I, we discovered a couple other approaches that, of course, anyone that's built with AI is, was probably aware of, but I wasn't around things like function calling that absolved some of the concerns I had. OpenAI had a big dev day. The cost came down a bunch. So a bunch of stuff happened in kind of intervening. October is when we released all our first AI features called ArcMax. And the following kind of like six weeks, six to 12 weeks, a combination of things made me personally go, oh, I got this wrong. Uh, I got this wrong and I got this wrong. Yeah, really so there you way. do have generic advice there, Josh, like your generic advice there, Josh is like that the, the war is won or lost on the ground, not in a war room. Like you got to be out there trying the thing and prototyping and, and then see. Yeah, that's if true. If you. I were to have advice, it is like, I have no idea. And no one else that comes on this podcast does. You should just go build some stuff yeah. and see how it feels and, you know, follow your gut. But I feel like that sounds like a fortune cookie. So I don't tend to say it, but yeah, that's my, that's my <laughs> honest advice. You know, and if you worked on our team, that's what I would say. And by the way, want to know another secret? I hated Browse for Me the first time I played with the prototype. I didn't see it. I didn't get it. But yeah. we have a team that believes in prototypes and definitely had a sex appeal. 
And then they did another turn on it. And then it, it just something clicked in. And it was like, oh my God, they were right. Well, wait a second. So we what, just, what changed in that turn? I think essentially thinking of it, really pulling the experience to think about it end to end as a product versus just this like feature prototype. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it without showing you what it looked like at the time and where it was when you played with the prototype. But if you don't, mm -hmm. at the time, it was sort of like this website builder prototype. Like make a website, you know, out of a string, not a keyboard up in a mobile browser. Instead of hitting Google search query, there's a big button that says browse for me. You tap that. We show you the way, like all these little details that you said made it sing. Still has a similar looking web page with a similar set of information, but those little sure. details along the way, like really made it click in. Are you a reformed, revised person on the nature of AI now? Like, do you, do you, does this now give you a different perspective on how many lateral bets and, and weird dark alleys of AI prototyping you would allow inside of what is still a relatively small team with only a limited number of bets to make? Yes. I'm trying not to be too extreme now. I, you know, we had a board meeting last <laughs> week and I'm getting such conviction on certain things that I, I have that moment, which is like, what if I put two people on a new desktop project for two months and said, Hey, with these learnings, go make the best desktop browser. What would you do? And, but specifically the question I asked our leadership team was, I said, what do you think the chances are? It'd be arc. Like what, like what part of mm -hmm. arc would it definitely have? If you were running that team, what would it definitely have? And if it, it starts wouldn't to be feel, right. Like there's, there's no way it would be. Yeah. No, I don't think so. And so what, what are you so, going to do? Um, what will tuned. you do? Arc.net, Arc <laughs> internet on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Like the, the, the use case, the customer problem has to change though. Be, I assume because on mobile, it, it is very clearly like I, I, I need, what's the fastest way to get what you need feels slightly different than like. So my, my, my hunch is it's actually not as different as I think you may think. I could be wrong. Mm. Uh, we haven't explored. Mm -hmm. yeah, we're still going, we're still exploring. Because let me just give you an example. At the end of the day, on desktop, the reason we're building a web browser, it's really closer to an operating system for most people. It's where mm -hmm. they spend most of their time on their computer. All of their files are actually just tabs. All of their applications are actually just tabs, right? And so really one of the primary jobs of a browser in 2024 is a, a computing environment for files and applications. So I think, okay, great. I still very much believe in vertical real sidebar as the better use of that real estate and easier to scan. Okay, so we're going to have the same sidebar that we have as Arc. Okay, are we still going to have like the core applications that people make their favorites in the top or kind of doc-like feature? Yeah, none of this AI stuff's going to make, you know, Gmail go away right now or anything. So, okay, we're still going to have favorites and go down the list. Okay, you know, you have your internal data tool that you use to track metrics at your start, but you're still going to have that pinned at the top Yep, mode's not going away mm -hmm. right now. Okay, great. Do mm -hmm. we still need split screen? Yeah, of course. Like you're going to be multitasking. So I actually think, yes. Will there be differences? For sure. And does it actually give us permission? Mm -hmm. You know, here's the thing I found about AI more than anything. It's just permission to let yourself accept and think about the things that you're too scared to anyways because of what they might mean. And I think right. it almost gives you this permission to say, yeah. It's like an excuse. It's this random acronym that's like, now you have permission from anyone to just do whatever right. the fuck you want. And then when you let yourself do that and you feel like you're given this permission, 
some of the things you realize have nothing to do with AI and some of them do. And so the thing I'm excited about is, yeah, we should just do like a four-year check-in on this product. We should rip out anything that's not absolutely essential. And there's a lot in this product that is not absolutely essential. And we will absolutely be doing that. Do I think the architecture of your interface to the web on your desktop computing device will change that dramatically from what's in ARC today from an architecture perspective? No, I think it's a right. file system with a dock and multitasking. And so again, I, I think desktop is somewhere in the middle, which is why I think mobile hit so hard. But what I did take from browse for me on mobile and ARC search on mobile is, wow, when a product's tight, it feels tight. There's no fat. There's no fat in that product. And our desktop no. is four years of wacky experiments and not a lot of time and a lot of technical debt and, you know, just people coming and going and forgetting why did we do that thing again? And why do we have 18 button styles? And so, again, it definitely gave more. I feel that. I feel like, that, you yeah. know, I, I, I eagerly redownloaded Arc Browser after trying Arc Search. And I, you, you just feel that in the product. It feels like yeah. some number of years of toiling away on, on like a very beautifully crafted product and the world has shifted and you're, you are breathing AI into it. It's so, it's so crisp, crisp and buttery is, is uh, yeah. what you, I think said, but it could, I wonder, so on the arc search, it is like browse for me. And then the, and then like the browser has faded away. It is quite interesting. Cause I'm just looking at my browser and it is more of an app environment. Like I have Gmail open, I have my calendar system. open. These are all things. But I, I I assume that that like search, traditional search might fade away in the in the desktop browser, if I may. Go ahead. Well, Fraser, I think we've talked about there. I think there are in the context of perplexity, we've talked about the thing that we have started doing that I think Josh, you almost reference as well, which is that there really are at least three types of search. Right? Mm-hmm. There is. I still use Google when I want a one box result. Like I don't ever use Google anymore, and unless I know the very top one boxed result that Google is very good at is going to give me the answer. What time um, is what it? What is in the Paris? weather like today? What time is it in Paris? These like very simple things, and then the second set of searches are really a summarization task, which is, hey, I'm going to go look across nine web pages, twelve web pages, and try and figure out which vacuum cleaner to buy or whatever. And that's browse for me is a, solves the exact middle use case as well. And then the third one, which is where I'm really trying to go down a deep rabbit hole of research, probably ChatGPT is the best solve for it right now, although it doesn't feel like the perfect solve for it. I think where you were going though, Frazier, uh, is, is where I do think the experience on mobile, put it like this, pre-Arc Search, one of the reasons I was skeptical of the AI narrative is it was so focused on replacing Google and mm-hmm. I thought that was really silly from my experience using ChatGPT. Now, ChatGPT did replace a lot of uh, search queries for me. Actually, it ate a quite, quite a number. But the idea that it was going to replace it as the default, for example, seemed totally far-fetched and misinformed in a number of ways. I was wrong about that. And I think I now feel like, oh, no, 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 we could actually build on desktop too a cohesive experience where you legitimately don't use a search engine anymore. Now, I think it's going to take time, and I think yeah, there will yeah. still be some percentage of people or queries, but I would have thought that would have been crazy for any company focusing on it, any company of any size. Mm-hmm. And now as a company that doesn't know anything about AI or search by a background perspective, I'm like, oh, we got this. 
So I don't know if that's going to, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's like too much confidence. I don't know if that's going to take a year or two years. I don't know what percentage we're going to get, but that is the, there was the mobile was the like, oh, they are so vulnerable. And, and you, and I was looking at it way, way too narrowly as like text output and generation. It's like, no, if you combine all these puzzle pieces together, right. especially at the that's browser right. layer, like they're so vulnerable. They're so you know, weird. I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for you. I don't know. I don't know if it will be you. You guys are well positioned to do it. But Nabil's heard me say that exact phrase is that for the first time ever, I think that I have a point of view that Google is vulnerable. And it, there's yeah. all different reasons that aren't too interesting in this conversation. You also have a very clear roadmap ahead of you to do that. My guess is with great care, you can just chip away at a better experience for how we have all learned to use search day after day, month after month, and you'll wake up in a year or two and your actual reliance to fall back on traditional search is going to be a diminishing share. And that's, that's a really wonderful place to be because what are they going to do? What, what are well, they going to the, do? This, this as, goes back to the part of the stack too, Frazier, is that we are the browser, which means we are the text box you type into before you go to a search engine, yep. which means we don't need to be good at every query because we don't need you to no. set us as your defaults. We can just decide where we send you each time. So in fact, That's especially right. with function calling, what we're going to do is we're just going to send you to our thing when we know it's good. And if that means we send you yeah. to Google 90% of the time for the first year, great. But you yes, know, I'll give so you yeah. great examples. Like, you know, to me, the canonical thing we can never be good at, you know, is local search. You know, I thought that'd be the one where like Google's just mm. going to win for the foreseeable future. I just don't think that's true. If you if you control that search box, but that's the challenge. You know, future search experiences that are like mm-hmm. traditional search engines applications have is they need to convince you to set them as their default. Otherwise, it's really hard to build a new habit. But if you set as the default in a traditional browser, it's hundred percent or nothing. You are oh, the default. I, I to totally not get for it. all the queries. I, if if Nabil came to me and said you got to go try this new uh, app and it's a great new browser, I never would have downloaded Arc Arc yeah. browser on my iPhone. Yeah. Right? I've been like, yeah, no, nah, yeah. whatever. You have a better search experience, but because it's a browser, as you said, you earn the right to do an awful lot of stuff for the end user in solving their actual problem while yeah. still being able to fall back when you need to, and maybe at the start, it's ninety five percent of the time onto generic search, and you'll. Yeah. You'll chip away. Like I have faith. I believe somebody's somebody's yeah. going to win this, and it won't yeah. be Google. Yeah. Can be expensive, but we'll figure it out. You just leaned into exactly what the last question is. As you guys are trying to navigate the future, do you constrain your team to think at all about cost? These are ridiculously well, expensive models. A question for you is, Spartan yeah, please is, go. Um, cool. So I'm I'm a new founder. I come into your door. You don't know me. You've never heard of our product. And I say, okay, so look at this retention and engagement data. We have smiling retention curves at really great numbers. People are engaging with these AI features uh, probably four out of five, maybe even five, six days a week. And it's leading to organic top of funnel growth. The only catch is it's really expensive. What do you two say? Let her rip. Exactly. You say, (laughs) great. I haven't found any consumer AI experiences that anyone retains on, let alone engages in, let alone grow sustainably for a while. So my bet is cost is going to come down tremendously. Of course. And my guess is it's a lot harder to find a product that that people actually love, that actually changes entrenched consumer behavior, like searching on the internet or using a search engine or using a web browser. So it's a gamble. But my gamble is go change the way people use the internet. I will make sure we don't run out of money. And I'm going to bet that if we change people's behavior around search and browsing, 
given all of the intent and business models that surround it, it'll be fine. But it's a gamble because it's super expensive. It's a, it's a bet. Yeah, but like, listen, even when I was there, we we dropped the price, I think, by 98% or something like that. And and these models are going to plateau for certain use cases in terms of capabilities. And then it'll just become commodity at that point. Uh, yeah. And you'll pay up still for the big models. But absolutely, like a user experience yeah. that today is delightful and retaining, I, I just push into it. The, the last thing I'll add here that I, to double down on this, it's also strangely enough, and this might not be obvious, it's also an innovator's dilemma for large companies because you may look at them and think they have a massive bank account, but the truth is that innovation hall has to run through a finance committee, a PL committee, like they are shipping their org chart every day, not just their engineering team and their product team every day. And so actually those things are really hard to work through unless you have a founder CEO who's saying, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't care. We're going to get it done, which is very yeah, companies. And that, yeah. So the principle that I would kind of share, at least the way that we approach it is it is much harder to build a consumer AI experience that people actually love and use and changes their behavior than it is to go raise money for that sort of behavior change uh, from the market. And that's the bet. Well, good luck on the bet. Uh, and, uh, and congrats on the Arc Search launch. Thanks for joining us today, Josh. Thank you. Yeah. See you later. Bye-bye.